I joked with Robbie that I felt like I should like rappel in off the ceiling or something after that. <laughs> I feel like I'm in a Mission Impossible movie or something. So, well, it's good to see you this morning. Um, I'm not going to even, maybe we should just go home after something like that. I don't even know if I can keep the, you know, is epicness a word? Uh, I don't know. Um, but seriously, so glad to have you here this morning. Uh, I'm Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, seriously, I've just, um, this is just something that's on my heart. Uh, basically, just the idea of Deuteronomy 6, that we see um, a love, a, a command to love from God and how that's even, maybe how that's even possible for us to do. So one of the things I wanted to start out with, I just want to tell you a little bit about myself. I'm Jordan, and I am a binge-watching TV show addict. Anyone else? Does anyone else watch binge-watch TV shows? Okay. So one of the things I thought about, you know, with that Mission Impossible type feel of, of, you know, and repelling off the ceiling is TV shows that have this wonderful theme song, right? Like a wonderful theme song that really um, resonates with people. Like maybe you'll recognize like one that says, I'll be there for you. Anyone know that one? Right? Friends, of course. Or maybe, um, maybe for uh, some of you, it's, in West Philadelphia, born and raised on a playground where I spent most of my days, right? These theme songs and TV shows basically like encompass basically the stories that they try to tell. And I binge watch TV way too much. It's, I think it's one of mine and Audrey's favorite, favorite hobbies that we do together. Um, by the way, she's like a TV marathon addict. It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, it could be like watching oral surgery emergency on TLC. If it's a marathon, she'll watch it. She's like, this is amazing. You know, I can't do that. I have specific shows, but basically like, I think what happens when you, you know, watch a show or you see some, you see a theme, right? To a certain show. And, uh, you know, I was watching, rewatching the other day, watching Lost. Anyone ever watch Lost? Sorry about the ending for all of you who are disappointed. Um, but the reason that I love that show is because from the beginning all the way to the end, it was all about character development and learning to love these characters and seeing them for their flaws and seeing redemption take place, right? Well, the same is true when we open the pages of the Bible. We can see biblical themes throughout the Bible, right? We can see it throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And if you were to ask someone today, like, what is the main theme? represented and, and, and found in scripture, it would be hard pressed for you to find someone who wouldn't say the idea of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Those are, those are common words that we've heard, right? Those are common things that we've heard through, throughout our time at church or throughout our time reading God's word. Like it's a central thing throughout. As a matter of fact, if you were, go, if you were to walk into any synagogue today or any um, Jewish school, any Jewish educational system, even maybe a place of higher learning. It's really interesting. Most of these places, before they would get started, it wouldn't be uncommon for the professor or the rabbi to have the whole place stand up and to recite Deuteronomy 6. Why? Because it's a theme of people. It's a theme of these people. It's, it's something that is precious to to our Jewish friends. And so I thought, man, we need to understand this better because I don't think we really get that. We say these words, we, we kind of understand what maybe they mean, but we don't, we don't truly um, 
live like that or we don't truly understand that. So that was, that was kind of my heart for today. Being able to focus in and see, well, God has commanded us to love, but why and how in the world can we do that? How in the world can we love God? We know we're sinful people. We know that we rebel against God at any chance that we get. That's our sinful nature. But how do we love God? How do we do it? And why is it necessary for us to do that? And so um, I just, I just want to uh, bring us to that point today, that idea of finding that theme of loving God in our life. Um, we talked about the idea that Deuteronomy 6, it's important not only now, but it was important then in Jewish history. Um, you see that it describes the relationship between like a monotheistic God, a one God and his people. Um, that's radical for that time. The idea that, and it's radical for the time here, the idea that you can have a relationship, a knowing relationship with God. I mean, ask people in your lives that maybe aren't believers, aren't following after Christ, if they think that they can know God and be known by God. And most of them would probably say, of course not. Of course not. What are you talking about being in a relationship with God? But for this time, he makes it clear in Deuteronomy 6 that this describes God's relationship with his people. Where it gets hairy, where it gets difficult is this idea when we hear, this, this word, and it's this C word that's on the screen, this command, right? Does anyone like to be commanded in the room? Probably not, right? I know I don't. Um, I really hate when someone says, you must do this. Usually it makes me think, well, I want to do the other thing. You know, just ask my mom. She's here today. You know, she'll tell you, right? It usually means it, it, it makes us want to, to move in a different direction. But the, the, the word command that I want you to focus on today, the kind of definition of it, it's not so much of an authoritative like speak or direction, more so like an overwhelming understanding or an overwhelming, uh, a high, a superior thing compared to what you know. Meaning that like commanding love, you see that? A commanding love would be one that is just so overwhelming and so superior to what you have to offer, what you can do, that it motivates you to do other things. Does that make sense? Has anyone ever had a, a baseball coach or a teacher or a professor or, or a pastor maybe um, that in your life you could say like they were giving me guidance and direction and they were commanding me, but they were doing it in such a way that it was easy to follow after them because I knew that the place that they were doing it from was, was one that was gonna help. I have those people in my life and I think all of us do. And that's the, how we need to see God. And we're gonna go through Deuteronomy 6 and we're gonna um, better understand it. So we're gonna start out in verse uh, four. If you'll open up your Bibles, it'll also be on the screen. It says this, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord, is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand 
and thou sh- they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name that you shall swear. So the first thing that we have to look at, usually usually we have different points, right? But what I want what I want us to move towards today is not necessarily different central points. We have one core point today at the end, but what I want you to see is really statements made in scripture that are extremely important and that will affect the way that we understand God and our relationship with him. And the first one is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And you say, well, that's not that big of a deal. I mean, what does that even mean, right? But for the people of Israel at this time, this statement right here, I mean, Moses could have probably like ended Deuteronomy here and it would have like blown their minds just by this statement. Because this statement here is a really profound statement that Moses makes. He's saying, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And what that means is, it means several different things. But first, it's a statement that Moses made declaring the importance by telling the all the people of Israel to listen, right? We see in the Old Testament a lot of times that there are instructions to specific groups or specific ways for specific times, right? But in this all-encompassing statement, the first three words that Moses says is, hear, O Israel, right? Which means everybody listen up. This is important. At that time, you got to see, this is after the exodus from Egypt. You have to understand that at that time, some people say nearly, the numbers are crazy, but some people say probably close to a million people, a million Israelites at this point, wandering through through the desert after uh, the exodus, right? And so he's saying, listen, all million, all million of you guys, this applies to all of you. You need to listen. So he's saying, listen, this is important and it applies to all of us. And I think it's true for us today. The second thing that this statement shows is the Lord, our God, right? It's very important that you see that. The Lord, our God. This was on purpose that Moses used this vocabulary. He could have said the Lord, the God, or the Lord, God. But no, he put the Lord, our God. It shows that relationship between the Israelites and God. And it shows the importance that God has placed on that relationship. And it's the same for us today. The idea that God has made himself known to us and we can be known by God. He has given us the ability to be in a relationship with him. And the last thing that this statement does, and I think one of the coolest things is this, the Lord is one. It shows his sovereignty. It shows that he is a God and he is God alone. Like monotheism like this idea of a singular God at this point in history was radical 
Nobody believed that. Nobody went after that. They just got out of Egypt where there was a God for, for everything. If, if you want to have a comparison, think of like modern day Hinduism, right? Where like the sun comes up and they say, oh, there's the sun. There must be a God that's directing the sun. And then when the sun goes down, the moon comes up. Well, there must be a God that's directing the path of the moon. Or when it rains, some, there must be a God to do that. So they would explain these things that would happen by making up these, these gods and say, this God is in control of this and this and this. And this is where the people of Israel had just been, right? They had just spent years and years and years as slaves in Egypt. And all of a sudden, God has rescued them from Egypt with Moses at the helm, like leading his people, right, by the direction of God. And all of a sudden, we see God make this crazy claim, and he says, listen, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And how does he, like, you can make that claim all day, right? But how do you back that claim up? And one of the ways is if we look at the Exodus. I don't, I don't know if many of you um, really study the Exodus. Really, the Exodus, in my opinion, is like the Old Testament. It's the huge event uh, for, for Jewish people. It is, it is almost like the idea of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus in the New Testament for our Jewish friends. Like the Exodus is... It's kind of the door hinge that they base all history off of. And so we must look closely at the Exodus because it's a great way to see what God was doing. And one of the things that you can see if you know the story, right? Moses comes to Pharaoh. He says, Pharaoh, let my people go. There's some cute song you can sing, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, but what does Pharaoh say? No, I'm not going to do it. And, and Moses begins to say, all right, this is what's going to happen. And these plagues begin to to run across the land in Egypt. And the, the really interesting thing about it is if, is if you do, do some deep studying and, and deep looking, the, the coolest thing is one of my favorite parts about the story of Exodus. God wasn't just saying, well, you know, what should I, what should I send next, you know? I think I got some extra locusts, you know? I could send those. Like, no, like, I think that God was very strategic in, in what he did. And how he did it. And the reason is this, and let me show you. Um, based on a lot of different scholars and suggestions, the way that the plagues ran out basically showed a relationship of how the Egyptian people viewed God. Let me show you an example. So the plague of blood that we see, remember the Nile River turns, turns to blood. There's, there are three gods that, that it could have been highly related to. There's one God called Kanum. He's the creator of water and life, okay? There's another God called Hype, and he was the actual Nile God, all right? And then lastly, there's one called Osiris, whose bloodstream was the Nile River, right? And so what you see is by God, like, making the Nile River full of blood, what is he saying? Like, these gods don't have anything on me, right? I'm on a whole nother level, is basically what he would be saying if he were in Memphis, you know, right now, right? I'm on a whole nother level compared to what you're worshiping. And, he, and it went on, right? There's a, the um, plague of the frogs. There was a goddess called Hekit, who was, she was the goddess of childbirth and fertility, and she was represented best with frogs. This goes on and on and on and on through each of the plagues. You can look all these things up and see how they relate. What God is saying is, he's saying, listen, I'm trying to tell you something. 
I am sovereign and superior to anything else that you could ever imagine or think. And I am the only God. And we see that. We see that clearly through the Exodus. And we see that clearly through God's guidance of the people of Israel. We also see the one thing about God saying the Lord our God is one. Moses making that claim. Is it's also important because in Jewish tradition, history and verbal and the idea of Jewish history is extremely important in tradition. And so he's not only saying like God is one, but he's also saying that this God that is, should be worshiped and loved now is the same God as he was yesterday. He's the same God that sent the flood. He's the same God that basically raised up Noah and his family to live through the flood. He's the same God that made a covenant with Abraham to establish this Jewish nation. He's the same God that brought you from, the, from Egypt in, in, out of Exodus. He's, he's that same God. He's been the same. He's saying, listen, God doesn't change. He stays the same. The, the God that you were looking towards, that you were looking back at and saying, look at all the things that he's done. He's the same God who's with you today. He's the same yesterday as he is today. And we see that that's extremely important for the people of Israel. It's extremely important for us. Just think about it. The fact that God is the same as he was yesterday. And even for us, the fact that we can now point to Jesus and the resurrection and we can look back to that and say, man, God is great. But that same God is alive today. And he's living and active and he desires to be in a relationship with you. Do you see like God is continually moving us forward in this? The second thing that we see, the second really important statement that we can find in scripture is this idea, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your might. You see, I think he... The reason these three things were were given out, right? We could say mind, uh, work, anything. But these three things, in my opinion, I think they point us towards an idea of like an all-encompassing life. Like you look at the heart, you, you look at how we see the heart. It's the place where the emotion of love, it's the place even where uh, in like in Jewish society, like to be honest, they would actually equate that to thoughts, Instead of the brain, they would equate the emotions to the stomach. And the reason is simple, right? When you have to make a big decision, do you feel it here or do you feel it here? You feel it in your stomach, right? You get nervous or you get excited or anxious. You feel that. And so what Moses is saying, he's saying, listen, with your heart, even with your thoughts, even with the love that you have, that's how you're to serve God. You're to love him with, with your heart. You're to love him with your soul. For, for the Jewish people, they believed in this, this almost this dichot, these two things of man is both flesh and soul, right? And so not only will you serve him with your thoughts and your heart and your, like with your flesh, but you'll also serve him with your soul. The place where your passions, your desires, your inner being, everything about you that makes you tick, that makes you, um, that motivates you, that drives you, that's what you're to serve God with. And lastly, he says, you're to serve God with all your might, with all your strength, every inch of effort, every, 
Every capability that you have, that's how you're to love God. And so through these three things, I think what Moses is telling us is that we are to live holistically surrendered to God, holistically in love with God. And you may say, well, well, that's great, but how in the world do we do this? Like, how do we, how can we do that? And I think the answer is the same then as it is now. And the answer is this, God first loved us, right? We can say that post-crucifixion and resurrection with confidence, right? That God first loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him shall not perish but have ever eternal life. I think I went King James on you there. That's okay, right? But even back up, like look at what God had done for the people to this point. Look at what he had done. Look at creation, Genesis 1:27, where God says, let us make man in our own image. And in the image of God, he created them. Man and woman, he created them. Does someone who doesn't show love want to create things in their image? No. Just his mere, just the ability to create and desire for his image to be placed inside of you and inside of me shows evidence of God's love from the very beginning. You see the exit from Egypt, all that God did to get his people back from Pharaoh and the Egyptians. You look at the provision of manna, his people are starving, wandering in the desert. There's no way for them to have food, right? And all of a sudden, what does God do? He provides for his people. You see, God loves us. He loves us. There are evidences of that way before we even had any understanding of God's love. Way before we had any thought to love God ourselves, he has first loved us. God's love is here and it's way before anything that we could ever imagine or think. You see another instance in God's covenant with Abraham. Why did God choose Abraham? There wasn't a reason, right? God chose to bless Abraham because he wanted to bless Abraham. Right? And he said, I'm going to make a covenant with you, Abraham, that you are going to be great among the nations, that you're going to be the father of many nations, and your name will be made great. Right? And basically, the covenant was basically, if you follow after me, if you have faith, if you, if you live according to how I want you to live. And what do we know about Abraham? Did he do that? Sometimes, but not all the time. There could have been any point where God could have revoked that covenant and said, you haven't lived the way I ask you to live. Your name's not gonna be made great among the nations. You're not gonna be the father of many nations. I'm not gonna bless you and your family. God could have done that at any point, but he didn't. Why? Because he loved us. He loved Abraham and he had a greater plan. You see, God is always working. And God's love is always evident if we seek after it, if we look for it. If we seek it, we'll find it. Basically, this idea of these three things, this heart, soul, strength, or might, it's just a charge for holistic living. It's a charge for true holistic living. Our lives are owed to God for what he's already done. You look at the people of Israel, right? And you think, well, they were hungry, like they had a right to complain, or they, you know, they didn't really know of God or understand him. 
But look at all the things that God had already done for them. They owed their life to God. Everything that they had become was because of God. Even from that point. How much more can we celebrate that today? That not only is God working circumstantially through your life and situations to, to fix small things and to bring you forward, but he has, he has fixed the biggest thing and the biggest problem that we have, which is a separation from him through Jesus. Uh, do you see that? Like Jewish people can celebrate that, that God loves them. He absolutely does. There, there's evidence of that. But you know what? In this, in this building today, we can truly celebrate God's love for us. Why? Because, because of Christ's substitution, his atonement for our sin, his sacrifice, his victory over death to bring us new life, to bring us to the Father, to give us eternal life with him, no longer separated, but, but together with him forever. That's cause for celebration, Right? That's a love that's so commanding that it should overwhelm every part of our life, like every single ounce of everything that we do. I was on the grill yesterday, and that was a really quick transition, wasn't it? Sorry. I was grilling steaks, and I'd used, um, for the first time on the grill, I have a little pan, um, a cast iron pan, right? And I was going to season it. Anyone know anything about seasoning cast iron? Okay, cool, me only. So I'll explain it to you. Basically... To season a cast iron pan, you've got to do certain things, basically, because um, cast iron it can be a great cooking surface, but it needs to be seasoned correctly, or the right things need to be done before it's being heated up, so it's no longer, so that it can be a nonstick surface, basically. And if you do it correctly, then you're going to come out with really great food that you cook on the cast iron. But what happens when you season this cast iron is you put a little bit of oil, right, on this skillet and then you basically kind of rub it in um, because what happens is there are different layers to the cast iron. And so what happens is that oil soaks in deep to those layers, okay? And when it does, it makes it, makes it a, a great cooking surface more so than if you didn't have it. And there were several other steps to that, but that's the main premise. What I'm trying to say is I was reminded of this yesterday in putting that oil in there because what I did is you put that oil in that pan and then all of a sudden it goes way deeper in that pan than you would ever even realize. It fills every little crack or hole or pore in that cast iron and it makes it a surface that's able to be cooked on. And the same is true for our life with God. The fact that when we truly understand his love for us, we let it overwhelm us. We let it come into our lives. And the only way that We truly get that complete understanding of God and listen and listen closely is to understand who Jesus was and what he did for us. Jesus being the son of God who lived a perfect life, who died on a cross as a substitute, as a payment for our sin, but didn't stay dead. He was raised from the dead three days later and is alive now. And we can place our faith in him. And it's through what he has done that God judges all things, not by what we have done. And so if we put our faith in Christ, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our past failures or mistakes. There are things that we've messed up. He sees Christ's substitutionary atonement for our sin. And he counts us as righteous because of Christ. Does that make sense? So what I'm saying is just like that pan was coated with that oil and it was ran deep into that and made it able to be cooked on, made it able to function properly, the same is true with our life. 
When we experience the true love of God through Jesus, that is poured over our life. And no longer are we people who, who like try to follow these rules and try to do our best to make God happy, but we're people who are surrendered to God because we understand the love that he has for us through Jesus. And through that understanding, our lives are changed. The Holy Spirit comes into our life. It changes us, makes us a new person, and we can therefore love God with all that we have. Does that make sense? We first must understand God's love for us before we can, before we could ever love God. And thankfully, we're at a point in history where we can look back to the sacrifice made by Jesus to his death and his resurrection. And we can fully understand and comprehend what God has done and the love that he has for us. So this is a charge for holistic living. The last thing I want you to see is this, and it may be a little bit confusing, but there's a point in the scripture, uh, actually uh, in verse 10, it says, and when the Lord God, and basically it goes through this idea, it's this, basically this charge of what God's about to do with the people of Israel, right? And what we see is what God is about to do is he's about to bring them to a place called the promised land, right? And in this promised land, these certain things are gonna happen. They're going to experience life, life like they have not before. They were brought out of slavery, slavery into a place of freedom, into a place of promise, into a, a place really of prominence and wealth and provision by God. And what God said, it's really interesting what Moses says. He says, listen, God, and when the Lord God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It's the Lord your God that you shall fear. So basically this, this idea, and when the Lord God, it's a simple statement. That, that shows different things. First, it's a simple statement that shows that God, the God of yesterday is the same of today. And not only is he the same God of today, but he's also the same God of tomorrow, right? The same God that created in Genesis, the same God that, that brought Noah and his family through the flood, the same God that made the covenant with Abraham, the same God that brought the people out of Egypt is the same God that's about to put the people in the promised land. And if you go even further, it's the same God who shows his faithfulness through establishing this kingdom of Israel, right? Who shows his forgiveness and his love for King David. It's the same God who brings people um, the word through the prophets in the Old Testament. It's the same God that is born of a virgin in Matthew. It's the same God that teaches and heals and loves people and forgives them. It's the same God that dies on the cross for your sin. It's the same God that's risen from the dead. And guess what? It's the same God that ascended to heaven and it's the same God that's coming back one day. It's the same. That's what he's saying. And when the Lord, it's the same. God is the same yesterday as he is today and as he will be tomorrow. And that's a powerful statement. How many things in your life are that constant? 
How many things in your life are that consistent with what you know? All you married people in here, does your spouse look the same, act the same as they did when you married them? I know I don't look the same. Good eating has helped me not look the same, right? I know I don't act the same. I don't, I know there are things that are different about me that Audrey has to put up with. And I know it's probably so annoying for her to do that. Like what about people who are in school? Maybe you had a class that was easy, but this coming semester, it's gonna be really difficult. Things are never the same. Things change all the time. We're used to that. So this idea of a God who has been the same from the beginning as he will be to the end is is radical, right? This God does not change. He is the same. That means his love that he had for us in the beginning, guess what? It's gonna be the same as it is in the end. The plan that he had from the beginning is gonna be fulfilled in the end. The things that he desires to accomplish from the beginning are being accomplished and will be accomplished in the end. God is the same. And when we understand that, we begin to to figure out our place and our relationship with God. Second thing that it does, it's a simple statement to show that, that God shows his rich love and abounds into tomorrow, right? I think a lot of times we can look back, especially post-crucifixion, resurrection, right? We can look back and say, this is the single greatest moment of love that we understand. The fact that a blameless, sinless God would die on the behalf of people so that we can be blameless in his sight. And that is true, but guess what? His love doesn't end there. It abounds further, right? He's given us the Holy Spirit in our lives for anyone who follows after God and has faith in Jesus, And the Holy Spirit comes into our life. It gives us strength and power and wisdom. It guides us into the things that God desires. It compels us um, to move forward into God's plans. It convicts us of the sin that we have in our life that God desires not to be there. Like he is, even to this day, the fact that you woke up and breathed breath, like that's a show of God's love for you. His love abounds into tomorrow. Do you think the Israelites at this point had any clue of God's plan, of his ultimate plan? You think they had any clue? Probably not, right? Probably no clue of God's gonna send his son in in the form of Jesus. And he's gonna be an atonement for our sin and through his death and his resurrection that we we can have life, right? There's no way that they knew this. And yet they could celebrate in what God was doing, right? They could celebrate what had God had already done. But if you were to tell them, hey, this is how it's gonna play out, they would have probably gone, that's crazy, right? That's crazy. Well, the same is true for us today. Like we're, we see, we, we can look backwards and we can see all the things that God has done. And he's done some great things. The very things on which our faith stands and rests, the cornerstone of our our faith in Jesus. We see that and understand that, but imagine the things that he's going to do forward. Imagine the day when people of all nations, of all tongues and tribes, sit before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the lamb who is slain. And they say, worthy, worthy, worthy are you 
Lord God Almighty. Worthy are you, the lamb who is slain. When it becomes evident that God is the only God worthy of worship. Can you imagine that day? Doesn't it seem crazy? Doesn't it seem so far off and and so long? It does. But remember, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And in that, we can have confidence because we know of God's faithfulness and his love for us. We know that there is going to be a day where this scene, this picture of all people, people of all places and regions and tongues and nations will celebrate and worship God. The other thing that this passage does, and I think it's really applicable and important to us, is Moses is warning these people, hey, listen, there's gonna come a time when things are gonna seem really easy, right? There's gonna come a time where you're gonna have all the food you need, you're gonna have the home that you've always wanted, the work is gonna be easy, like you're, you're, it's gonna be great. But in that time, be careful. In that time, be careful because it's our nature to say, look at what we've done. Look at what all I have and look at what all I've accomplished. And what Moses tells the people is, be careful lest you not forget what the Lord God has given to you, right? In James chapter one, verse 17, it's a really familiar passage, but basically it says that every good and perfect gift is from above, from the father. And we see that, right? We see that all these things can be traced back to God. And you say, well, well, God didn't help in my education. Like God didn't get me this job I have. Like I've done all this work. I've done all these things. Like I've worked to make this right. Like I should have pride in that. But if we rewind the tape a little bit, we can see that from the very beginning, when God created you, he enabled you to be able to accomplish those things. The places that you are today, if you just look at, look at the things in your life that he's worked through, imagine if he wouldn't have been working, could you have accomplished those things without him? No. From the very beginning, God has been at work so that you, so that you would under, better understand his love. And in that, like we can become so confused with the things that we have or the things that we do, the Lexuses that we drive or the two-story homes that we have or the, you know, fat bank accounts that you have, not I have. Um, Like we can become so confused that we can have so much pride in that, right? But the truth is like, it's all because of the Lord. Like it's all because of God. Like the fact that you have those things, yeah, you may have worked hard for them, but that work ethic that you have was given to you by God. The, the fact that you're able to study and be in like higher education, guess what? Like God has gifted you with those abilities to be able to do that. There are some people that cannot do that. It's just not possible for them. And God has gifted them with other things that enable them to do other things that are just as important. But what I'm saying is don't look at your life and say, I have done all these great things. I don't need God. Because what you'll realize is you absolutely and completely need God because he has been at work this whole time in your life and allowed you to walk into these things like jobs or education or families. 
And in that, in hopes that you would see that every good and perfect thing that you have is from him. He shouts it from the mountaintops, right? But we do the same thing. What happened when the people got manna from heaven? Do you remember? Like they, they loved it for like a couple of weeks. And then what do they say? This is awful. Like, can we get some meat up in here? Like, come on, I don't want this anymore, right? And we do the same thing. We do the same exact thing in our lives. But we must remember that every good and perfect gift is from, from God above. Our key, key point, our core truth today is this. Only through God's commanding love are we able to follow his command to love, all right? We must first start with understanding that God first loved us. He absolutely did. We saw evidences of that before even he's talking through Moses to the people in Deuteronomy right here, right? We've seen evidences of that, that God loves us. He loved us before we even knew that we were supposed to love God. And through understanding that, it should not point us to this direction of, I've got to follow these commands. I've got to obey these things. What it should do is it should motivate us. It should overwhelm us. It should pour, that love should pour over our lives and enable us to follow God, enable us to love God with all that we are. You see, if we're truly loving God with all that we are, the only reason we're doing that is because we understand that he first loved us. And how much more can we celebrate that today? How much more can you celebrate that today? Have you celebrated the fact that the Lord loves you? That he's given absolutely everything for you? Do you understand that the king of kings who has all power and knowledge in the world has sacrificed so much so that you would know him and that you would be able to be in a relationship with him? That's commanding love. That's a love that's so commanding. That's a love that's so brilliant, that's so overwhelming that once you step in it, there's no stepping out of that. Once you are overwhelmed by that, the Lord takes a hold of you, takes a hold of you and he moves you in a different direction in your life and he changes you because of what he's done through Jesus. I'm gonna ask the band to come up here and uh, for a closing time of response, but I just want you to think about today, like, do you really love God or do you understand God's love for you? Like, has it been to this point, like a set of rules? Like, let me attend church. Let me go to small group. Maybe I'll serve in the community. If I have enough money or vacation time, I'll go on a mission trip and then God will be happy with me. Has it been like that in your life? Or maybe, just maybe, should it be a different way? Like, should it be something totally different? To where for once at this point, you say, you know what, God? You love me and there's nothing that I can do about that. There's nothing I can do to change that. There's nothing I can do to disrupt that. Like your love for me goes way beyond even my actions or understanding. And out of that understanding of your love, God, I'm just forced, I'm, I'm just, I want to love you back. And not just with my actions, not just with the things that I say at work or at school or my family relationships, not just with some of those things. Not, I don't wanna segment my life to you, God. I don't wanna fill out a, a checklist, but God, I just wanna, as best I can, I wanna give you everything I have. I wanna give my life over to you and I wanna try to love you with everything I have. 
If we do that, if it comes from a place of God's commanding love, guess what? He's gonna enable you to follow his command to love.